every time I plug a battery in, I get the same nerves. I get the same shakes that, you know, I did at my first ever comp. Welcome back to RC Truck Talk. Joining me today is William Riddle, an experienced competitive driver who is no stranger to the podium. So if you have issues driving under the pressure of competition and you would like to improve as a driver, then this is the episode for you. So let's get going. Hi, Bill. Well, thank you very much for sparing this time for this interview tonight. You're welcome, sir. Okay. If I may, I'd like to start off with something we all like to talk about, and that's new truck builds. In particular, I'd like to talk to you about your Meet the Dragons builds that you featured in your video. Okay. Uh, For some of the people that might not have seen that video, could you explain a little bit about the process that went into those? Yeah. So when I started, I had never built a comp chassis truck. And I knew that if I wanted to compete in all three classes, I wanted to have very similar, at least as much as I could, if not identical trucks. So did my own little bit of research and thought everybody has an opinion on chassis. What's the best? What's the, you know, what's buildable? What's not buildable? So ultimately I settled on uh, a G-Speed chassis and I got what they call a D1C1 for class one, which it, it has a certain amount of skid lean and it that's allowed within the rules and I'm, I don't know what that is off the top of my head I don't remember and then I got their carbon fiber chassis for class two and class three right and kind of went from there so identical chassis identical components identical axles across all three platforms same wheels same winches same servos same everything and my concept was if i had traveled to an event i don't want to have to take parts for three different varieties of truck right um yes i don't want to have to you know i don't want to have to to mix and match and then possibly forget something leave something not have something so i take three trucks that are built identical i've got one set of parts that i can basically fix any truck with and then the other thing is i wanted to be able to because some of these comps you'll run all two, three classes in the same day. Some of them are spaced out to where, you know, you kind of have your pick or variety. But I wanted to be able to transition from one truck to the next truck in a different class and have it respond the same. The lean is the same. The bounce is the same. So I just took and uh, built basically three mirrored trucks, one for each class. Okay. I mean, that's the first time I've heard of someone doing that. Is that unusual or or do you see other people doing that as well i've never seen anybody do it in all three classes at the same time you know over time as guys compete and they drive their trucks they you know find components that they like for the, their style of driving mm-hmm. and um, they'll you know maybe one year have a new truck and then the next year have a new truck with the same components but i was like i said i was getting into it for my first comp build chassis or what they call a comp chassis so I had kind of a clean working slate. I didn't have five or six other comp trucks laying around. You know, I was comping with basically straight frame rails off of an axial uh, 10-1 or a 10-2 truck for years. Right. And, um, you know, so I had a clean slate. I didn't have anything else laying around. And I talked to a variety of people and watched them and drove some other trucks and uh, picked some components that I thought would work for me. And, and that's the direction I went in. Yeah. And I, I can see the, the uniformity, how that can benefit for you. I mean, obviously, anybody that's ever packed up spares right. to leave, it, it's a it's a problem. You know, right. it is. It's a you know, if you've got any type of RC shop, you've got parts probably scattered everywhere. And, 
you know, 15 different things that you're working on in, at any one time. And, and unless you're a guy that travels routinely, you know, trying to pick up and collect those parts is, is could be a pain in the butt. Right. When you decided on that, did you feel that you needed to compromise on any aspect of those builds in order to accomplish the outcome? I mean, did you feel that your three was a compromise on your one or vice versa? No, actually, I didn't. You know, I, I got components and, and parts that I believe in. Some of the folks that I used, I drive for or I'm sponsored by. But I, I, I only use parts that I believe in. I only use components that I have complete confidence are going to hold up to the way I drive. So I don't think that I sacrificed really anything from one build to the next. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, it's something I think you need to experiment with yourself to come to that conclusion, because so many people seem to build, you know, a very specific class one and then a very different class two and then a very different class three. From my perspective, when I saw that build, I was very intrigued with that because I thought you have familiarity and that enhances your driving abilities because everything's a little more predictable in inherent performance. and, And when I started out, that's exactly what I was going for. Like I had no preconceived notions of, hey, I want to use this component and this component. My base build plan was, hey, I want three identical trucks. Right. And and ultimately, that's what I got. And they do, you know, they're not perfect. They have their little quirks, but, um, you know, they they keep me in the the top 10 or 20 most days when I'm not screwing them up. <laughs> <laughs> but then I've never I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't have a truck that has a quirk. It, right. Like for- like my trucks, like all three of them are super loud as far as it's and it's not the motor. You know, I run the hobby wing motor, so it's super quiet, but I run all metal gearing. So and then it's inside of you know a styrene built hard body and then a styrene built custom interior. So it's basically you know, inside of a, um, one of those things called that makes everything louder. Yeah, so like, it's, yeah, it's, like an echo. Without the body on it, it's actually pretty quiet. But when you put that body on it, you know, it just it creates a big boombox in there, <laughs> um, and and it's and it's loud. It's not yeah. as loud as some of the the motors out there, but but they are loud uh, of themselves. But it's something I've gotten used to, and it's it's not right. that super whiny kind of high-pitched loud that, that some motors have, but it is different and it makes it sometimes hard to hear, but you know, the, the trucks do very well for me. That's awesome. So I think you've answered my next question is it, it, when it comes time to build through three new rigs, would you follow the same process or would you try something different? Absolutely. I would absolutely follow the same process. So, the, and those builds were for the 21 season. So for the 22 season, I built an additional class three truck because my class three truck for 21 was on a narrow axle. It was on an AR 45. Okay. And there's some serious advantages to that, but it was just a tad bit long as far as the wheelbase for, for my liking, my driving style. So I actually built two new trucks in class three for 22. I built another AR45, which is a little bit more narrow with a little shorter wheelbase. And then I also built a Capra width axle oh, wow. in class three okay. for 22. And again, it's the same components. Um, you know, the, the chassis is the same, the transmission's the same, the transfer case is the same, the motor's the same. 
The only thing that is different is you have a narrow axle versus a wide axle. And then, so what I'll do is I'll take both of those trucks to a comp with me. And as I'm looking at courses, I'll look and see whether, what the disadvantage or advantage is of running narrow or running a little wider. Because again, they have disadvantages. They both do. So so that's my concept for class three. And um, hopefully this year I can be a little more competitive in class three. The four-wheel steer sometimes gets in my head trying to mix it, but uh, a good buddy of mine, Dave Zettelmoyer, hooked me up to a radio system and said, hey, this is what you need. And and it's been been a game changer for me as far as the class three and the four-wheel steer. So. It's, I mean, it's a huge change for most most of us drive normal RC cars. Right. The four wheel steer is a big departure from that. It's a whole different mindset of what you can do, what's capable of. It, it absolutely is, especially in, in what gets into my head or what got into my head before I went to a new radio system was the, the mixing. And whether I was turning the rear wheels in the right direction, a lot of times I'd whack them into a gate when I was trying to turn the other way. And they were slow in, in the, the way I had the mix set up. So, yeah, it, there's a lot going on with a four-wheel steer truck, especially if you're, you know, you're trying to, you're in four-wheel steer and you're using and you're trying to winch. And, man, there's a, a lot of stuff that can happen in, in those different scenarios. But uh, it definitely keeps the brain busy. <laughs> That's like the sort of the pat in the head, rubbing the stomach kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not that coordinated. And then problem solving on top of that. Exactly. So, so all these trucks are primarily built for Sorka events. That's correct. Sorka, yeah. Sorka light. They're compliant in both realms because around here where I live in Virginia, there's both Sorka competitions and Sorka light competitions. Okay. So they're, they're built to pass a tech table in, in, in either one. So from that aspect, how did you actually first get into competitive crawling? Ooh, um, I guess, I guess you would probably have to define competitive because I would compete with myself okay. a lot. Um, kind of before the community kind of got recognized, I guess. And then soon as, you know, they started kind of happening on the East Coast, I was involved as much as I could be. Sometimes, you know, years ago, traveling was a little more difficult for me. But I guess I've been into competitive crawling for probably off and on for eight or nine years, maybe. Oh, wow. Something in those ranges, That's... maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter. Yeah. So it was something you were always interested in. Is just as the, the sport expanded, then you just took advantage of what was going on around you, really. Right. We, you know, it took me a while to find the the crawling community. You know, I, I've I've had an RC car since I was like nine or ten years old of some form. I did the go fast thing, the racing thing for a few years. It just wasn't, you know, wasn't my thing. Um, right. I did a little bit of bashing here and there, and and that type of. Thing thing but it just wasn't I wasn't as into it as I am now and the crawling really intrigues me I don't have to go fast I don't have to you know make every corner at the at the right angle I can go out there's a set of gates I got to get through them and move on to the next one yeah so it's uh it's a good it's a good hobby good sport for me and I really enjoy it Right. And that's the main thing, isn't it? For that. Right. You've posted up many of your, on your YouTube channel, you've posted up mm-hmm. many driving videos. And I know quite a few other RC drivers, myself included, that like to watch these and get quite a lot out of them. But one thing I can't help notice that when you're competing, you are incredibly calm. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's like that in real life, but from, from an observer's point of view, 
um, you just seem to be very calm, very collected. And even when I've seen like a spotter talking to you and a judge was asking you if something's fallen off your truck and the line wasn't going the way you planned and you just said, okay, I've got a winch, I've got a set. And you just carried on. And uh, I just wanted that, is that something you have to work at or something you've developed over time or is that just you? Well, I think it's kind of just me from past lives and past careers. You have to be kind of calm. You have to be calm under pressure and under fire. And um, RC crawling is really no different. It's not always going to work out the way you want it to. And you have to to make a decision in just a matter of seconds as to whether you want to go left, right, winch, um, what you want to do. And, you know, I, and I want to win. I'm an A type personality guy. I love winning. I love being, you know, on the podium, but it's, but at the end of the day, if I lose, it's not a huge, like, I don't I'm not that grumpy guy that walks around upset and angry all day because, you know, you right. Lost. Right. Um, typically when I lose, it's my own daggone fault. Uh, cause I just tried to do something goofy or I wasn't paying attention or I lost <laughs> my focus, but, uh, but ultimately, I'm in it to have fun, to yeah. uh, you know, clear my brain at five or eight minutes a, a run. And because when, when I'm driving, nothing else is going on. You know, I'm, I'm in my head. So, yeah, I want to win, but I don't I'm not that win at all cost guy. I just want to have fun with it. You know, win, lose or draw. Most of the time I'm laughing and, and carrying on and, and having a good time with these guys and. And the community here, you know, in Virginia, Maryland, is just like, I, I, you probably couldn't ask for a better group of guys. Um, oh, that's nice. Yes. You know, from Virginia Scaler to White Rose to Key City, the guys that come into those places, man, they're, they're, they're there for one thing. And that's really just to have fun and, and laugh. And, you know, we pick on each other and, and all that. And it's just, it's a great community of, of people around here. Right. I can see how that's a conducive environment to play around in and not get quite so freaked out. Yeah. I mean, trust me, there's, we have some serious dudes, Yeah, um, but they typically don't stick around long. You know, it's just not everybody's cup of tea. No, that's true. In my experience, sometimes people like that don't tend to stay in one thing for for very long until they, exactly. you know, they just exactly. tend to move on. So, yep. and I'm maybe going back to the videos again, but I, I found that watching you drive and often you do like a, a documentary or a critique your own video. Right. <clears throat> and uh, there's a few things that really stand out to me. And uh, I just thought they're worthy of discussing. The first one that is, I've seen that when you're faced with your, your truck being in a bad position, be it being high centered on the roof or jammed against a rock, Many times. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for the on the roof reminder there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I look at it and I, I see you persist and often succeed in driving out of the situation. And at some points, I feel that you actually stay on task when a lot of people would have taken like a rollover and moved on. Again, is, is that a conscious decision or it, it, does it by, by mistake or, or, or is that a planned thing? Okay, it's, it's all a little bit of both. Okay. But before we get to that, so I want to give a little shout out to, I wasn't the first one to do the commentaries. Um, okay. The guy out in, I want to say he's in Utah, Western Desert Wheeler. He yes. does them as well. And that's where I picked it up. I was like, man, if he's doing them, I can do this. You yeah. know, and, and maybe help out the community. Um, as far as persistence with being in a bad spot, I try to drive one truck something at least 30 or 40 minutes every day, even if it's just around 
the living room floor, over the wood pile, you know, in the backyard, whatever. I try to get that, you know, even if it's just 15, 20 minutes in. Right. Um, so I know my trucks um, and I know what they're going to do in most situations. And then I have a little clock in my head that's kind of counting. Okay, you've made one attempt. You've made two attempts. You've made three attempts. You know, you've just eaten up 20, 30 seconds. How close are you to? So there's all kinds of calculations going on. Is this gate nine? Is this gate one? You know, where are you at in the in the grand scheme of whether it's a five-minute time limit, whether it's eight minutes or 10 minutes? Kind of all of those things come into play as to how long I will um, sit and try to take an obstacle. Um, mm. And I was up at Key City earlier, yeah, earlier this week. And AJ and I were talking and, uh, and AJ's the owner and he's like, so why did you just sit there and try to do that? And I was practicing, but I was like, well, you know, I have a clock in my head. And we had this kind of the same discussion. Yes, How long yes. do you sit and try to work something out before you move on or decide to take the role or the winch or, you know, whatever situation you're in. Right. Right. Um, but the, the big piece is I know my trucks, I know pretty much what they're going to do and, and when. I know where right. my tipping points are. So, um, but yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of calculations going on at any one time in my, <laughs> in my little brain. It's impressive. I, I'm glad you said that because it, that's what it seemed to, because I figured it, you have that confidence to stay with it. You know, I've seen you in one situation, you were beautifully high centered on a four by four and both your wheels, both fronts were, and, I, and it's like you started spinning your wheels and I thought, oh, good luck with that. And then next minute I look, you, you're up and running again. It's like, holy smoke. You know, that was impressive. <laughs> okay. So, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, do this podcast justice if I didn't mention that there's a history with being high centered on my first experience was a curb. So like a parking curb. Right. Um, yeah. And the man that, the man that, uh, Typically reminds me of such events as Jeremy Kilborn, a real good friend of mine uh, with Operation 11 Charlie, uh, lives up in Maryland. And uh, so being high centered cost me a championship at Motorama. Um, not once, but twice. Two different classes. And uh, so, yeah, so that one, the high centered piece, uh, th there's not too many people that aren't aware of it. And they, uh, every time they... Uh, see it happen they're they're you know hashtagging curb or shouting kirby or you know whatever but again just <laughs> you know busting my hump with it but so yeah there is a there is a story with the with the <laughs> stuff on the curb or high centered uh-huh the the <clears throat> the other thing i picked up on is often if you're faced with a an awkward gate or an approach angle you often use some very creative winching more than most i mean some people will go direct and, and but you will quite happily loop right loop your winch lines round so is this something you practice again because that looks like it's just not a i wouldn't say what you do is instinctive it looks like um, it's it's deliberate though so it, so that's called super winching okay. um and a lot of places a lot of comps it's outlawed you have to go direct from your bumper to your winch point oh but it most and that's Again, so the SORCA rule base allows individual event holders to change things. In a, in a regular SORCA event, you can super winch all day long. But basically, you're, you're taking your winch, you're running it through some position or piece on your truck, 
to pull your truck sideways, get a set of wheels up off the ground. And it is something I practice. And it, because I'm, again, I'm comfortable with it. It comes fairly natural. And when I'm, that's something that I'll look at. I'll watch other drivers drive if I have the opportunity. And uh, if they are screwing up a gate or if somebody says, man, that gate's nasty, then I'll go and take a look at it. And if it's something, again, if I can do it pretty quickly without running the risk of timing out or DNFing, mm-hmm. then, I, then I'll take a shot at Super Widgeon. But again, it is something I practice. Right. That's reassuring. <laughs> that's instinctive. You almost, you almost have to practice, even if you're just going to straight winch. Right. It's something you have to practice because, you know, you see guys fiddling with their radio, trying to either turn their winch on or figure out what, remember what channel it's on. You know, if, if you're going to be at the top, like if you watch like, you know, some of these guys from out West, like uh, Ryan Rodriguez comes to um, my head right now. Mm. And some of his guys out there, uh, uh, Bryce Monta from TGH, man, these guys, if you think I'm instinctive, they make me look like a toddler. I mean, they're yeah. they're so good at what they do. But if you want to get up and compete with those guys, you have to practice. Right, right. No, it's one of those things, isn't it? YouTube doesn't show that side of life, does it? Sometimes. <laughs> no, and, and YouTube doesn't always do some of these angles and, and rock faces justice. No, that's I mean, true. You, you, it's that's tough to true. reproduce that from, from the point of a camera versus yeah. the point of actually being there and seeing it. Yeah, the camera has a horrible habit of flattening everything out and yep. you, you get no sense of gradient or... Right. Yeah, and yeah, you're like, oh, I can do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself back on your top. You go, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I picked up on was, is your line choice when it comes to gates. You often choose a different line that is different than say the common line being taken by most drivers. So like in a competition, mm-hmm. you see several drivers take one way and you come up and you go, nope. And you're going to go a different route or take a different approach to it. That's, that's, I find that interesting in as much as that, you know, a lot of times if everybody, if you watch anything, any sport, if everybody takes the same line, there's a tendency to all take that same line, mm-hmm. but you are obviously very happy or very confident in picking your own route on yeah, that. Yeah. So, so the thing there is I'm not all, I'm not. So when I'm running in a competent, I'm not just looking at the gate that I'm physically going through at that particular moment. I'm looking at the next gate and where I have to be to get through that gate as square as I can. So if I could take a little different line on a gate to put myself in a better position for the next gate, then I'm going to take that different line. And especially if you're on a course that is um, all natural, sometimes that preferred line will get eaten out just a little bit or dirt will get dug out to where you don't have grip or it gets slick in that original line. So you have to have a second line, uh, you know, as, as course degradation happens, you know, it happens even on man-built courses. Yes. Um, Yes. But yeah, I'm always, I'm going through the gate I'm on, but I'm looking at the next gate to see how I can best set myself up for success there. Okay. That would make sense. So you're just taking a much bigger picture than just 
from the single book, single gate. So when you post up a lot of your competition runs, uh, as I said, there's quite a few people I know that use them for so their own education mm-hmm. and, and understanding. Do you use them for the same purpose yourself? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, and I would encourage everybody to, as best they can, videotape their runs um, or videotape your practice. Because then, you know, you know, a Friday night or a Saturday night while you're sitting in the house, uh, you know, you're having your favorite adult beverage of choice. You can go back and look and put in a little more focus as to, hey, what is my truck doing? Is my truck sitting level? Is my truck riding high on one side? Is my truck, you know, appear unbalanced? Is it turning? Because you don't always see those things when you're actually driving. So when you come back, and that's part of the process of how I get to know my truck. I I just watch the videos and then I edit them. And a lot of times I do both at the same time because editing, as you know, editing is a pain in the butt. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can kill two birds with one stone there, I will. But it's all about, yeah, I absolutely use them for my own purposes and they get better. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm mean, also in competition, your perspective could be different too. You know, you're looking down and if someone right. gets gets video from the side, you, you, it looks completely different. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know. And I've done a couple of those. So um, one of the local comps here, Virginia Scaler, a buddy of mine, I had my helmet cam on and he's videoing from the side. So you, you got, I got two different perspectives of a pretty difficult gate that guys had, had uh, not done very well all day. And I completely, uh, you know, flipped the script on it. It took me a couple of minutes, but I actually, it was a steep incline up and everybody was trying to go forward through it. And then they weren't able to make the turn to the next gate at the top. So I backed through the gate and it put my front in. Like I said, it took me a couple of, it took me probably about two minutes to clear one gate, but I did it successfully. And it was one or two reverses, maybe three, where other guys were either hitting the gate or winching and hitting the gate, you know. So I I don't always take that orthodox line and and I definitely use my my film to, to make myself a little better. Okay. So you've said you've been doing it for a long time. So you're a seasoned competitor and you're, you're not a stranger to the podium either. So what skill sets would you recommend that can make someone a better driver? As far as not being, as far as being familiar with the podium, yes. But every time I plug a battery in, I get the same nerves. I get the same shakes that, you know, I did at my first ever comp. Um, I still get nervous. I just have to kind of calm the internal mechanism. The biggest piece of advice I could give a new competitor. It would probably be twofold. First and foremost, know your truck. Know, you know, what it's going to do, what its capabilities are, what they are not. And then the second piece, and this is something I tell folks quite often, is know your rule set. Yes. Know how a how a penalty is going to be pointed. Know, you know, what a touch is, how you can use it to your advantage. Know what a reposition is, how to use it to your advantage. And then even more, so that is, like I said, up here we have Sorka, Sorka Light. So you have to know what your rule set is. If I'm not going to get charged for reverse in Sorka Light and I'm out of position, I'm going to take 20 of them to get myself in the right position. If I'm in Sorka and I'm going to get charged for that reverse um, um, and I'm out of position, I'm probably going to try something a little different or try to just lower the number of reverses that I need to take. Yeah, So point. Yeah, know your truck and know your rule set. Yeah. Where you're going, ask questions. That's a good one. Yes. And for drivers new to the competitive scene, other than the actual driving tips, 
what other advice could you give them? Yeah, I mean, make friends, watch, you know, get together with folks and practice, get together with folks, take a trail run, you know, drive your truck, have fun, enjoy the hobby. Like I said, it's 99% of the RC community is just fabulous. Um, amazing. They'll help you. They'll help you with setups. They'll help you with builds. You know, they'll help you. And everybody has an opinion. So you kind of have to, right. you know, shake out what opinions are good ones and which ones you could probably do without. But but it's a great community. So make some friends, get some buddies and uh, go into it. Just have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Have some fun. Yeah. Now, am I right in saying that you also design courses? Yes. So I've built, I don't know, I've been building courses probably past six, seven, maybe eight years, um, different parts of the world wow. where somebody's willing to, to send me to build a course. I'll go typically help them build a course. Wow. So, so what is your thought process when you design a course? <laughs> um, I want to make it challenging. I want to make it, I, I, I do not like a clean run. I want to make it challenging for a driver. I don't want a clean run and I don't want a drag race. If I wanted to drag race, I'd go get into RC drag racing. I want guys to think. I want guys to be challenged by the terrain. I want guys to be challenged by the gates, um, you know, in a competition. And I want them to, you know, experience a little bit of those nerves and then maybe be able to take a breath and then, you know, go right back to the nerves. Cause I mean, it's competition for a reason, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I want to, I want it to be challenging. I do not want a drag race and I do not want um, a clean run. Okay. When you design a course, obviously you've, you've got it worked out in your mind, how you're going to utilize the terrain or where you're going to, your gate placement. Does the outcome match your expectation? <laughs> uh, probably about 50, 50. You know, gates that, that I, because I don't pre-drive anything. I don't pre-run okay. a course. You know, I set it and, you know, I, I either have a measure stick to get the gate uh, widths correct or I'll use my fingers. But so I don't pre-run anything. So gates that sometimes I think, oh, man, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough on these guys. It's going to make it work. And then you watch them and man, they just go right through it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but then at the same time, gates that you think are going to be super easy, like, hey, there's a there's a gate he can take a breath on. Those are the gates that kick him in the butt. So probably 50-50 okay. with, with that. That's honest. I mean, that is the way things go sometimes. It's the little things right. sometimes that can snag you. Yeah. So, so you've built courses overseas, you say? Um, yes, I built. I went down with uh, part of Recon G6, and we did an event pre-COVID in Costa Rica. Oh, wow. So we went down there, hooked up with uh, a local group, and, and Pitbull got with us, and uh, and we had a farm, and we they had a lot of it done. They had they had some just incredible courses down there already, but we went in and, and uh, massaged a few of them, and like to think we made them better. But yeah, that most of them here domestic. That's the only one overseas. Most of them have been here uh, domestic. Yeah. That's still pretty impressive, though. <laughs> it's it's fun. I like doing it. It's a lot of work, but I enjoy doing it. And uh, it puts a smile on my face for some goofy reason. No, I can understand that. Now, you mentioned G6, and I was going to ask you, I know that you're involved in, in G6. Mm-hmm. So could you give us a just a brief overview of what Recon G6 is about? Okay. 
so I've been involved in with the recon G6 for about five years, six years, maybe something like that. I've known Brian and, and been, you know, working with him. So, so recon G6, it's all about the adventure with that. It's, okay. it's not about the gate. The gate is some of the gates in recon are going to be two, three, four feet wide. If you run over a gate in recon, it's simply because you're not paying attention where you're going. Okay. Um, so it's a whole different concept from a competition. It's recon G6 is not a competition. It's an adventure. Okay. So there may be, you know, 50 or a hundred gates on a particular course. And there may be like, you know, we go out and, and do Axial Fest. There's 26 courses, you know. So, wow. but when we when we do recon stuff, there's anywhere from, you know, eight to 10 or 12 courses. And they can be anywhere from 50 to 100 gates. And they're not going to be, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a hike. But the, the challenge in the adventure with recon is getting to the gate. Okay. The gate is never the obstacle. It's never the challenge. You know, um, Brian told me a story when he was overseas a few years back. Somebody was like, man, why are your gates five or six feet wide? I can just drive right through them. And he's like, well, did you have fun getting to the gate? And the guy was like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, it kicked my ass. You know, so it's it's two completely different things. And you can cross over from competition to recon. But but the, the gate in Sorka or in competition is always, chances are, your obstacle. And in right. recon, the gate is never the obstacle. It's a trail marker and it's saying, hey, go that way. I got you. I got yeah. you. So it's, it's basically directing someone on a, onto a, a terrain right. that you want to choose. Right. And then, like I said, you know, we may have, you know, a 20 foot uphill and there's five or six different lines. We don't, we want the guys to try all those different lines. So we're going to put a big gate at the bottom and a big gate at the top, figure out how you're going to get up the hill. <laughs> you know, so. And then, like I said, there's a lot of crossover people that do both. I'm, I'm a perfect example of that. But uh, yeah, but yeah, recon is an adventure, 100%. And he's got some cool stuff coming up here this year for 22 that he'll be announcing here pretty shortly. So, oh, excellent. You know, yeah, he's yeah. he's he's with it. Okay. And you, you touched on the Axel Fest. Now you were responsible for setting up a lot of those courses at Badlands, right? Right. So the first year, so, so recon for the past, I guess, three or four years, whatever it's been, has been the main course setters and course builders for the Axial Fest events um, with Horizon. So we did one or two in Cali, then they introduced Badlands. And unfortunately for recon, there was a conflict between Badlands and an event that, um, the recon has called the fix enduro, which is basically a 12 hour event. You take your truck, you drive it for 12 hours over a particular course. Um, you have to do a lap an hour type deal. Um, and it's, it's a super fun event. It's tiring. But anyway, yeah. there was a, a conflict between Badlands and the fix enduro. And I had planned to do the fix that year. Brian had reached out to me and he's like, Hey, I need somebody to, do Badlands. It's the inaugural year out there. You know, it's the first year they're doing it. We need it to be on point. I have the fix to do. You're the one that that I would like to go to Badlands. So I got my buddy who's also a recon G6 guy out of California, Mike Dooley. And Craig Davis was there 
with us that year, and we went in and set twenty six hundred gates on the Badlands, wow. um, rock and swamp areas, and and had an absolute blast. I mean, like, and it was tough because it rained, so the swamp was like you. It was tough to walk through the swamp without being up to your ankles in mud. Oh my gosh. Um, and if you stepped in the wrong little jelly hole, you know, you could very easily be down to your waist uh, because they run big one to one trucks in there. Some of these guys are running, you know, 47, 54 inch tires and you know, they're just having a blast. But oh, wow. uh, so, yeah, we went in there, we did it. Uh, we're, we pulled off um, Badlands and the fix all in the same weekend. And, uh, you know, Craig and, and Mike really you know, gave me the support that I needed to, to go in there and, and make that event a success. And with those guys, I don't know, without those guys, I don't think I would have been able to do it, but yeah, just, it was an awesome experience and an awesome honor to, you know, have Parker say, Hey, I need you to go do this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, was, no, it was cool. That was, sounds quite the experience. How long did it take you to set all those gates? I mean, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So, the cool thing with Axial is we typically, with Axial Fest, is we typically have about three days on the ground. So we got there for Badlands. We got there on a Sunday. We had a, a real rough map of where we wanted to be. Parker had been there before. We took Sunday and scouted. And then we basically have a thing we call a gate party. Take your metal rod and you have to put it on every single gate head. And that's what what we put in the ground. So we did 2,600 of those. You take the plastic topper and you stick the metal gate on it. So yeah, the next day your hands are all cramped up. But we scouted on Sunday. We had permission to start setting obstacles and things Monday. So we start, we built some obstacles on Monday that were not on the one-to-one trails because they kept it open to the one-to-one vehicles through Tuesday morning. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, we got all, most all of our building done. Uh, we knew where we wanted to put some waterfalls and things of that nature, bridges. So we got all that stuff done on Monday and kind of into Tuesday morning. And then when they came in and put the barriers down to keep the one-to-one vehicles out on Tuesday, we started setting gates and we were done setting gates basically Thursday when they opened the concourse up for vehicles to go on it. So two and a half days. Yeah something like that. And then kind of the the cool thing is we then pulled all of those 2,600 gates in about six hours, you know, and and that's, and it's, and what makes that tough is like I said, people run over them with their RC car and you know, the, you you know, the gate is supposed to be right there, but then it's It's down the trail because, you know, somebody's run over it and drug it. Yeah. Um, but we, we make it a special point to get all the, the metal stakes out and things of that nature because we don't want somebody on the one-to-one tearing up, puncturing a tire, falling right. apart, hurting themselves, anything like that. So we, we pay a lot of attention to making sure we get those items out. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. Wow, that sounds good. So when, you, when you're setting those courses, I mean, that's such a large area. It's not a specific course you just kind of eyeball it when you get there and just kind of uh, yeah so again improvise is that the word i guess improvise would be would be a good word sometimes we use game trails sometimes we'll use a road or a ditch 
Um, it just depends on what's there. And that's one of the reasons that we scout. We know, like with, with Axial Fest Badlands, they had a part of the area that they had blocked off for us was called the quarry. And that's where Axial was going to have their shovel bus drop folks off. So it, a bunch of trails had to start there and then a bunch of trails had to end there. So we kind of, that was like the hub of the wagon wheel, if you would. And, um, you know, you, you walk those trails. I put in, I want to say, 56 miles just walking trails with Badlands the first year because I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted Holy the smart. trails to come out where they were supposed to, you know, because Axial had already printed the maps, you know, and some of the trails would kind of follow the map and then, you know, we had a couple of mystery trails and a couple of trails went where they weren't really designed to go. So, so it's, uh, it was a good time. A lot of, like I said, a lot of walking and without uh, Mike and Craig, I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have pulled it. It wasn't an I thing. We would not have pulled it off. Wow. But uh, yeah, it was a good time. I mean, I knew the trails were long. I didn't realize it was that kind of, I suppose if you're doing all of them, which is what you're saying pretty much, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. that's that's a lot yeah yeah and that's what some people come in that's their goal when they come to axial fest is they want to do every trail some of them are shorter like the i want to say it was the pro line trail it went from right outside the campground all the way to the court where some other ones you know would would only take shorter distances you know within the area but yeah. uh but yeah so it was it was a good time and, and i enjoyed doing stuff like that it's a lot of work you come back sore and you know there you're like I said you're walking in the swamp and we learned lessons from the first year so when we went back to do badlands the second year we had better foot you know better shoes better boots you know things yeah. like some waders so we weren't slopping around in the mud for six eight hours soaking wet right that's nobody likes that so you pretty much built on the experiences from the previous year so the courses were similar or or did you try and re so so the second year courses they took different routes but they were similar and then we built another we repaired three or four obstacles that had just i mean they sit there in the woods and in the you know, in that area, and it doesn't take long for ropes to rot and things like that. So we've repaired three or four obstacles, and then we built four or five new ones, including a, a, a tree ball obstacle or a tree ball, a tree root ball obstacle. So basically, a storm had come through and taken about a 70 or 80 foot oak tree down, and it just pulled the whole root ball right up out of the ground. I know. So yeah. we cut up the tree, had them run down the tree. And then built a bridge around the root ball. Oh, nice. So, you know, just yeah. stuff that you don't see everywhere every day. And, and yeah, so it was it was definitely different. But, yeah. uh, you know, courses were kind of in the same journal area. Right. So and also, I mean, it must be nice because that's quite a departure from like a soccer course for that oh, kind yeah. of. Yeah. yeah You've got to bring your, your walking shoes for a, for a recon or an axial festival. Wow. Wow. You see a lot of drivers do both Sorka and G6. Mm-hmm. So so when comparing Sorka to Recon G6, how do you see each organization's place within the hobby? I think there's room for both of them. They're two completely. It's like, you know, a farmer that grows apples and oranges. He's going to sell both. Some people like apples. Some people like oranges. Some yeah. people like both. But, but Sorka is a rules set. Without the local 
folks putting on competitions, then Sorka doesn't go anywhere. So, like, as as an event, as, like, take Key City, Key City Hobbies up in Frederick, they do Sorka. Um, he's got a, some other things that he does, but he is Sorka based. So he gets his uh, competitors because they are there to compete in the Sorka rules set. Okay. Um, whereas Recon which their big one on the East Coast is Blue Rocks uh, in June. If, if you've never been to that event, you need to go. It's okay. some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen and just epic trails. You know, there's trails that go up to the top of the mountain. Um, just a great time. and a really good RC community that comes in up there. But, but that's, um, again, that's an adventure. Um, he has very little rules. Um, you know, politeness, just the basic courtesies, but there, there's not a rule set. Your truck has to be on this type of chassis. It has to, you know, have this size wheel and tire. It has to have, you know, two S or three S or four S. It's, man, if you've got an RC truck that runs, bring it and, and we'll get you in somewhere and you can go have some fun on the trail. Okay. Whereas Sorka, it has to fit, I don't want to say cookie cutter because that's not right, but it has yeah. to, in order to compete in Sorka, you have to have a vehicle that fits and passes a tech inspection and fits inside of their box of rules. If you right. don't, then unfortunately you can't compete with that vehicle in that specific class. Yeah. Whereas recon is, hey, if you've got an RC truck, bring it and we're going to show you a good time. Right. So it's a, it's a far more sort of open architecture uh, yes, yeah, it's a it's more of a junkyard run what you brung type yeah. race or type of event than than um, Sorka. Where Sorka, if you don't fit in that box, you can't compete right. with that truck. Although it sounds like you've got to take in consideration the length of the trails too, because it's just not exactly. <laughs> you might right. have some, you might have some work cut out for yourself, right? Right. You know, you've got to yeah. be. You know, you've got to be somewhat mobile for a recon. Yeah. Um, because you're you're walking through the mountains, you're walking through, you know, swamps and, and forests and rocks and, and all that stuff. And typically with a Sorka event, you're pretty close proximity to where your courses are. You know, and the courses are, I don't want to say short, but they're typically 10 gates and you have anywhere from five to 10 minutes, depending on what the, the event organizer has as a time limit to do that. Right. So it's pretty quick. Those guys at Sorka run, you know, little tiny 750, 550 size batteries. Whereas a, a recall event, man, you're looking for some of the big 5,000 milliamp batteries, you know, that's going to run for three or four hours. Right. So, um, yeah, two different, I think there's definitely room for both of them to grow and, and progress yeah. and uh, two different fish there. Yeah. I, I get it. So again, in reference to both organizations, Moving forward, do you think that they both need to change and why? Um, so the things that I think need to change with Sorka is their rule set in the, in the Sorka. There's a committee that works. They do it of their own free time. Hmm. But there's a, a Sorka rules committee, and they're in the process of trying to make the rules a little more clear in okay. some aspects. Like there's a – in Sorka, there's – like I said, it's a rule set, but there's quite a bit of gray. Um, if you know how to manipulate the gray, then you can manipulate it to your positive advantage. Okay. Um, 
and and those guys work really hard and and there's a couple of local guys here that are on the that are on the committee and they spend uh, you know a large portion of a Saturday or Sunday evening you know in the chats with the committee members trying to figure out you know, how could we make this better so those guys work their tail off um, and I think they're gonna come out in 23 with a brand new rule set that's gonna hopefully clear up some things and uh, and make okay. those rules a little uh, more understandable for some folks. Okay. Um, as far as recon, you know, recon is, you know, he's got a worldwide following of folks and, and the pandemic was, was difficult yes. because you, know, you can't travel. You, it's tough to put on events. Right. So he's uh, like I said, he's got some stuff on for 22 and uh, I think it's going to be a, a good year for him. I don't think he's going to do quite as many events as he has done in the past, just because it takes, you know, if you're doing a, an event every weekend somewhere in the world, it takes a toll on you. Yes. And um, so I think he's going to make his events a, a little, not less recony, but a little, there's not going to be one every weekend. Right. I don't think coming up for 22, because a lot of places you can't, you know, you still can't travel too freely. Right. Um, so I think there's there's room for both of them to grow, and I think any change that they make would be positive. Yeah, and I think they're they're both ridiculously good for the community. Whether you you know transition from one to the other, or you just you know one is your favorite and that's where you stay. I think they're they're both wonderful for the RC community. Yeah, and they yeah they sound like they both fulfill very specific needs right. in, in in the market, uh, and which is absolutely. nice. Yeah, so they're not at war with one another at all. I suppose not at all. Brian must have his work. I think, you know, losing, well, I suppose like a lot of organizations lost 2021 for events. It's hard to pick up, you know, when you're building year on year, it's a lot easier to continue. But when you lose a year, a year, then it's, it's harder to go back and get all those wheels churning again, isn't it? It is. And he lost. So Motorama 2020 was the last event that, that we did as a recon. You know, he did some some things on the internet and some kind of uh, virtual things, but that was the last event that he has done under solely under the recon banner. Wow! Um, you know, Axial Fest, of course. Yes. We recon went in and did those, but that was you know that's under the Horizon banner. Right. So yeah, you're you're right. It is tough, and um, and uh, it, it's not been easy on him. No. But, uh, but no like I said, he's got that. a he's got a solid plan for some things later on in 22 and into 23. And uh, I, I think folks are going to enjoy it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think everybody's, I mean, you know, you could see that people are very, very keen to get back out again. I think everybody, oh, yeah. everyone's feeling that whole uh, sort of crunch of, of the COVID and everything else. So right. I think, I think a lot and of people are looking forward to those events again. They are, they absolutely are. And it doesn't matter, matter you know, where you stand on the spectrum. Everybody wants to, to, to try to be as safe as they can in their life right? with whatever, whether it's getting in a car and driving to work or whether it's, you know, having somebody sneeze on you at the grocery store. Right. Everybody wants to try to be as safe as they are, as they can be, uh, you know, for the most part. So, yeah. So hopefully, I mean, it does seem to be, there's a good sort of upswing for 2022 events are starting to appear and, and they're holding, you know, they're actually going to you know, exist where a lot of people were sort of, benchmarking them last year then as they got closer to the time counseling them hoping i suppose like a lot of people you you're hoping that this is going to work out and it didn't 
So this should be a slightly better year than 2023 should build on that, hopefully. So, Right, hopefully. And, you know, you can't, the government is what it is. Yeah. If they, hey. if they want to shut a county or a state down, they're going to do it. And, and there's no use really trying to battle that because you're just no. going to end up with a sore head from knocking it on the side of the barn. <laughs> um, you know, so. Yeah. No, we'll see. Maybe. We'll see what the future brings. That's right. So do you have plans for 2022? I, I mean, yes. Um, I have a, actually, I have a comp tomorrow. I'm getting ready to charge batteries here uh, in just a little bit. So there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 set for the year wow. um, comps that are set right now, mostly here in the East Coast. I will be going to my first nationals event, um, and that's down in Alabama. Uh, Alabama. So I'm going to go yeah. down and, you know, see how I stack up against all the the pro guys and, and really my only expectation is that I can hopefully finish all the courses. Uh, I don't like taking a DNF. My intent is to go down there and try to finish all the courses and, you know, see where I see where I shake yeah. out, um, have some laughs. I'm, I'm going down with some super shafty drivers and okay. uh, we're just going to have a good time. Right. I take it that's your first scale national. It's my first nationals event. Yes. Oh, wow. So oh, we good. did, uh, I've done um, the fall crawl, which is again, it's a super shafty event up in Maryland. Right. Uh, draws hundreds of competitors. I personally, I think that should be a national level event, but for whatever reason, it isn't. But I did that, and, and this is my, this will be my third, third year this year. So the first yeah. year I didn't, I, I, I was a little out of my element with my ability in some of the courses. So, and that's what kind of prompted the Dragon Builds was, you know, I can hold my own with um, a frame rail, regular frame rail, and I did so for years. Um, and I got up there and these guys were just faster, cleaner than I was. So I was like, all right, if you want to compete at this level, it's time for you to oh, wow. to step up and put a little, you know, and, and it's a financial obligation to get some of those components. And oh chassis. my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, Hey, if you really want to be competitive with these guys, you've got to try to get, you know, a product that is lighter because you can't compete with a four pound truck when you're running a 10 pound truck. It just doesn't work. So uh, right. that was kind of the part of the reason behind the dragon builds. Wow. So that, that hasn't been that way for, that's more of a recent, I mean, obviously the flat rail chassis have been around for a while, but they haven't been that prominent. Um, no, the, the, the flat rail, the flat rail chassis has been around for, for years. Mm. Um, but I was I was an axial guy. I was just running that basic C channel frame or the or the solid um, D tube from RC four wheel drive. That's what I was running. I was competitive here locally with it, and I was like, you know, why spend all that money to get all that fancy stuff when I can pretty much outdrive you with you know kind okay. of basically a box stock truck. So, but and then Shafty when I went up to the fall crawl, it was eye opening. Um, I mean, guys with just great equipment, great components, um, smooth, good, like I said, you know, Ryan and El Jefe and, you know, um, Squirrel, a guy down here in uh, Carolina, Andrew Flowers, man, some of those guys. They, if you think I'm calm, under pressure, then like I said, those guys make me look like a damn toddler. Chris Cox, some of those guys. Um, oh, wow. They're just really, really good, steady drivers. And I was like, you know, I can drive with these guys. Let me up my component game, if you will. And, and that's what I did. Right. So the first, the first fall call, I had, I think, three or four DNFs across all three classes. And then, I don't know, I was up 
well over 50th positioning wise. And then this last year with the Dragons, I didn't have any DNFs, which was my personal goal going in. I was like, hey, I want to finish wow. every course. And I, I want to say I was down into the 20s, you know, into the mid 20s with my finishing places. So I was really, really happy with the way I performed and with the way the trucks did too. Yeah. And, and that'll be my goal again this year is just the, I don't want to DNF. Right. I want to finish. And that, I mean, I've only seen it on videos. And like we've both said that, you know, videos tend to flatten out. That looks tough, super shafty. I mean, some of the lines on that course are crazy. You know, it, it really depends when AJ's setting courses, if he, um, sometimes he's a little mental. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's it's great terrain. It's, it's a lot of kind of West Coast rock. So it's super sticky. Very little of it is super slick. So it's, it's got a ton of grip with it. You just have to build it pick a line, pick a smart line and then, and get through clean. And it's a great time. And again, to me, it's all about the community, man. You go up there, there's vendors and there's food and and everybody's laughing and driving and and just having a good time. It's a, it's a, it's a really quality event in in my, in my opinion. And the field's pretty, pretty good too. I mean, if you look at the, yeah, I mean, the roster on that, you're, you're in some very good company. Yeah. You've got, There's a you know a hundred or more drivers in each class, and I mean you've got some of the best names in RC rock cropping. You know you got Wyatt Mellon, you got Ryan Rodriguez, you got Chris Cock, Andrew Flowers. You know some of the local guys. You know like Todd and 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 Dan Wasinski. Um, you know you got AJ. AJ is a force to be reckoned with. I mean you know Bob Mom to Bryce that co- that comes out from um, you know just the names go on and on that that are right. there. So you know, if you can, if you can pull off a top five, you're doing something. If you can get into the top 20, you're, you're doing something. I mean, right. you're, you're driving with the best guys in the business. Yeah. Yeah. It's very impressive. It's very impressive. Well, I'm glad the dragons worked out for you then. So that was the. Yep. And then like I said, class one and class two, I'm sticking with them. And uh, my yeah. class one knock on wood is um, when the driver shows up, class one, I'm tough to beat. Right. But the, you know, the driver doesn't always show up. So <laughs> we'll see what happens tomorrow. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a real good truck for me. I haven't yeah, uh, you know, I've made a couple tweaks tweaks to the class two, but I haven't done really anything to my class one. It just um, and actually AJ borrowed it and drove it at nationals last year. So the truck actually has nationals experience, and I do not. Oh wow! So yeah, I let he hadn't gotten his quite back together. He's like, man. I'd like to borrow your truck. And I was like, man, go right ahead. Nice. Make sure you don't lose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe some of that will rub off. Now it's got some experience, you know. Right. It's got more experience than I do at this point. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see how the experiment goes with the the two threes, the two class threes. Yeah. Um, The the second three is actually, it's sitting over here on the right of me. It's the truck is running. I'm just finishing up the body, but we'll see. Like I said, that's, the driver yeah. has to show up. I think the trucks are very capable, um, <laughs> but I, I got to show up and do my part. I, I hear you. I hear you on that one. Yeah, that's always that. That's always that problem, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's, can't yeah. tell. You just can't you get good help know. these days. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> well, Bill, you've exhausted all my questions. So, okay. uh, so is there is there anything 
that I missed or that you'd like to say? Just guys, have fun with it. It's, like I said, there's some guys out there that are winning at all costs. I don't like that. I don't care for it. And given the opportunity, most times I'm going to call you on it. But, you know, I lose, I win, and I, I do it all with the biggest smile I can have on my face around some of the greatest, you know, guys that I've, I've come to know over the last you know, few years. Just have fun with it. Yeah. You know, have, fun, have fun. Let it take you away from your, you know, whatever crappy, stressful situations you got going on in your life. Plug your battery in. Go drive your RC truck for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes and have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you take that attitude with you, you're bound to have a good time, isn't it? If you make it yeah. something. Yeah. If- you have to. You have to. If you, if you don't, you know, guys are going to, you know, like I said, it's a tight community, so guys are going to start to avoid you. They're going to know that you're yeah. full of drama, and they're they're not going to mess up their fun right. so that you can have yeah. your drama. I got yeah. you. I got you. Okay. All righty, Bill. Well, I, I appreciate your time, and uh, I hope you do well tomorrow. And, I hope uh, I do, too. Go well. <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's actually a series of them. So there's, this is the fourth event in a five-series string. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Well, I hope you get your batteries charged in time. I hope I do too. <laughs> All righty. Well, All right, I would sir. take this. Okay. Thank you. And good night, Bill. Okay. All right, sir. Now I feel I should plug in a fresh battery, go outside, and practice driving over some rocks. Thanks again to Bill Riddle for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. I thought he had some great insights and some really solid advice on how to develop as an RC driver. And I hope everyone got as much out of this interview as I did. For those of you that have not seen any of the videos we mentioned in the interview, you can find them on YouTube. Just type in William Riddle. You can also follow him on Facebook as William Riddle with Bill in brackets. Thank you all so much for listening. Please feel free to reach out to me with your thoughts and comments. You can find us at RC Truck Talk on Facebook, Instagram and Gmail. And as usual, I will do my best to reply to all comments. If you enjoyed this episode, then please recommend us to a friend and if possible, leave a review. Credits, music by Croanda, audio production by Lee Street Productions. And again, thank you all for listening and I hope you make some time to get a little dirt on those tyres.